Let us again pray. Lord God, as we come now to open Your Word, we ask and pray that You would help us to understand Your Word here this morning. That Your Holy Spirit would give us the understanding we need. We see Elijah is gone. But, O oh God, You remain. Oh Lord, we ask that You would bless the reading, hearing, and preaching of Your Word here this morning for the sake of Jesus, we pray in His name. Amen. If you're able to remain standing, please do so. Take your copies of God's Word and turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 2. Second Kings chapter 2, we'll begin at verse 1, we'll read to the end of the chapter, verse 25, hear now the word of God, it is infallible, it is inerrant, it is God speaking to us, so let us pay close attention. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he answered, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water. And the water was parted to the one side and to the other till the two of them could go over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, You have asked a hard thing. Yet, if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? 
And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other. And Elisha went over. Now when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him opposite them, they said, opposite them, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. And they said to him, Behold, there are with your servants fifty strong men. Please let them go and seek your master. It may be that the Spirit of the Lord has called him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. And he said, You shall not send. But when they urged him till he was ashamed, he said, Send. They sent therefore fifty men, and for three days they sought him, but did not find him. And they came back to him while he was staying at Jericho. And he said to them, Did I not say to you, Do not go? Now the men of the city said to Elisha, Behold, the situation of this city is pleasant, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad, and the land is unfruitful. And he said, Bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went to the spring of water and drew salt in it and said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From now on, neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. So the water has been healed to this day according to the word that Elisha spoke. He went up from there to Bethel and while he was going up on the way, some small boys came out of the city and jeered at him saying, Go up, you bald head, go up. You bald head. And he turned around and we saw them. He cursed them in the name of the Lord. And two she-bears came out of the woods and tore 42 of the boys. From there he went on to Mount Carmel. And from there he returned to Samaria. The grass withers and the flower fades away, but the word of our God endures forever. You may be seated. Last Sunday morning, we began looking at 2 Kings, really just continuing on from 1 Kings. And we heard this question asked by Elijah to Ahaziah, is there no God in Israel? Ahaziah had fallen. He wanted to go and inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron. And we learned four things about God last week. God concerning idolatry, God hates idolatry. About God and His witness, how God will always have His witness, even when those come out to try and kill God's prophets. We looked at God and pride, and finally God and His threats. What He said concerning Ahaziah came true. Ahaziah died. Now this morning we come and we see that Elijah is going to be taken from this world. Elijah here this morning is translated up into heaven. As we hear that, it it should bring us concern because Elijah was one of the greatest prophets in Israel. He was bold as he preached against the sins of Ahab and Jezebel, the sins of Ahaziah. But yet, at the same time, we also saw where for a moment Elijah was so depressed that he asked God to take his life. But Elijah was a great prophet in Israel. He stood over and against the wickedness of his day. And and with his departure, what will happen to Israel? 
What will happen to the spiritual life in Israel? Now we know God has already chosen a successor for Elijah by, in Elisha. And that reminds us of something very important. That no matter how important we may think we are to God and His kingdom and the work of His kingdom, God always has someone to replace us. We are not indispensable in the work of God's kingdom. When we are gone, there will be others that will step forward and continue the work. And so even though Elijah is gone, that he is translated up into heaven, God remains. And so there there are, are, are two things I want us to see. First, uncertainty. And then second, we're going to then see four things about God throughout the rest of our text. But first of all, I want us to see the uncertainty over Elijah's departure. That uncertainty is found in verses 1 through 6. As verse 1 tells us, this is the story of God's taking Elijah heavenward in a storm wind. Now remember, Elijah does not die. He's translated, but he had asked that God would kill him. That time of spiritual melancholy, he wanted God to take his life. And Elijah does not even taste death. Now in verses 1-6, through as we read it, it seemed like everyone knew of what was going to transpire. Elijah knew it. The sons of the prophet Elisha knew it. but, But nobody wanted to talk about it openly. Every time someone mentioned that to Elisha, he said, I know, but be quiet. I know this is about to happen, but... Do not say anything. And so there is an air of of suppressed tension. Now remember this, when Elijah went on the top of Mount Carmel, he, he battled the false gods of Baal. What did God remind Elijah of? He reminded him of this, that there were 7,000 in Israel who had not bowed the knee to Baal. And so there are 7,000 faithful Israelites who are worshiping the one true God, who are listening to the prophet Elijah, but now Elijah is about to be taken from them. And so everyone is on edge, for with the departure of Elijah, an era is passing. Now in verse 12, we hear Elisha cry, My father, my father. The chariots of Israel and his horsemen. And he saw Elijah no more. And that, that indicates to us the esteem in which Elijah was held. Not only by Elisha, but by all the faithful Israelites. He was held in very high esteem. But also the fact that there are horses and chariots indicates what? That those are, are things that are used in military campaigns. And so in a way, to have Elijah, it was like having the army of God. Elijah was a good defense system for Israel, but that system is now going to be taken away. Or at least it seemed that way. You see, in the midst of all of those who worshipped the false god Baal, in the midst of Jezebel killing the prophets of God, 
you had one man standing in the gap, and that was Elijah. Well, what about what will happen after? How will the faithful remnant of God's people go on? And so there's a transition, but this transition seems like a, a seismic shift. There's anxiety over Elijah's departure, and then there's dread and uncertainty over Israel's remnants. However, with all the change that is happening, there's one constant. And that constant is God. Elijah is going to be taken away, but God will remain. And so there are four things I want us to learn about God in this text. And the first is about God's power. As we have seen and heard the, 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 the dialogue between all of those, between Elijah and Elisha, between the prophets and the sons of the prophets concerning the fact that Elijah was about to depart, there are two notes in, in verses 7 through 15 about the sons of the prophets that seem to begin and end this section, verses 7 through 15. In verse 7, 50 men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as they were both standing by the Jordan. And then the first part of verse 15, now when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him opposite them, saw Elisha opposite them. And so those two phrases, those two Mentions of the sons of the prophets, they, it tells us how this text works. Now it seems that they observed what occurred at the Jordan, but did not likely witness the departure of Elijah. They saw Elijah wrap his mantle, strike the Jordan with it, and they saw the Jordan River divide, and Elijah and Elisha walk through it. Then as Elijah and Elisha were walking together, Elijah knowing what was about to happen, he asked Elisha, what shall I do for you? What shall I do before I'm taken from you? And notice what Elisha says in verse 9. Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. What's he asking for? Really a double portion of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not inactive in the Old Testament. Somehow along the way we've, we've gotten it wrong. We think the Holy Spirit doesn't show up until the day of Pentecost. There's nowhere to be seen. And all of a sudden He just shows up. But the Holy Spirit is God. He's always been, will always be. And He was actively at work in the Old Testament as He is in the New. And we see it here. Elijah asked Elijah, please give me a double portion. And Elijah said, this is a hard thing. Why? Because it wasn't His to give. Elijah was a prophet of God, but he wasn't God. And he tells him, if this happens, if you, if you see me as I'm being taken away from you, it will be so for you, but if not, it shall not be so. And so they continue walking on and out of the blue chariots of fire and horsemen separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind and he was gone into heaven. As Elisha cried out, he then took his, his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. 
Now, as we think of these events, we understand that we see the power of God, but God's power is not tied to a particular time or era. If we, we think of these events as reenacting the events of Joshua 3 and 4, what happened there? God cut off the waters of the Jordan and Israel entered Canaan. Now this time it's not as public as then. We have a, a group, a very small group, witnessing what we have here. But we are told that the God of Joshua, the God of Elijah, the God of Elisha is just as mighty at both times. And that's something we need to hear this morning. That God's arm has not atrophied. It's just as strong as ever. Because we think it is. We see everything going on in this world. We see the church very weak. And not speaking against what we need to be speaking against. And we think the power of God is weak. But God's power is the same. But God's power is also not limited to a, a certain instrument or one man. Because what do you notice when Elisha, after seeing Elijah taken up into heaven, he takes the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he did that, the water was parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha walked over And so what did the sons of the prophets see? They saw that the, the power of Elijah now rested upon Elisha. That Elisha was the man to take Elijah's place. But then we see and hear something of God's wisdom. As I said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. They came and they met him and they bowed to the ground before him. And then they said, look, we, we have 50 strong men. Let us go and see if we can find Elijah. Now, Elisha said, no, you're not going to go. You shall not send men. But then they kept pestering and pestering him. He said, okay, finally, send them. Send the men. And, and as these men came back after three days, what did Elisha say? See, I told you so. Told you not to go. You went. Did you find him? No. They did not listen to the wisdom of Elisha. They submitted in a way, but then they did not submit. They, they, they kept pestering the prophet until he finally said, okay, go. And yet it was fruitless. There was no finding of Elijah. Why? Because he's in heaven. He was not upon the earth. And so not only is Elisha the bearer of God's power, but also he is the bearer of God's wisdom. The, the bad thing was the son of, sons of the prophets would not listen to him. Now this is a minor thing, but yet if they will not listen to him and his wisdom in the minor things, what about the major issues? And so wisdom is important. What is the wisdom of God? What is the... Where does the wisdom of God begin? In the fear of the Lord. But the church, much like the sons of the prophets, we, we don't value wisdom very highly. Now we like the wisdom of man, don't we? We hear some speech or some talk and some man sounds really wise and 
We are attracted to such men. We, we want to read what they've written, but yet, if they do not believe in God, it's useless. You see, the sons of the prophets, they could see power in Elisha's walk through the Jordan, and that impressed him, but they weren't looking for wisdom. Wisdom is not one of God's flashier gifts or attributes. We would rather see the Jordan rolled up than to hear the wisdom of God speak to us in Scripture. Wisdom is mundane, it's ordinary, it's quiet. The power of God is what makes waves, but wisdom is more sedate. And wisdom is always available to us, but what do we often do? We ignore it. God's wisdom is always available where? In the Bible. All we have to do is sit down, open it, and read it. And we have the wisdom of God given to us. But then we also learn of God's grace. Do you notice where Elisha went? Where he ends up? He ends up where? At Jericho. Did you find that interesting? Elisha is at Jericho, just west of the Jordan River. And, and Jericho has a problem with this water supply. The land, because of the water supply, was unproductive and unfruitful. Now, the ESV doesn't bring this out as greatly as it could, but the water is so bad that the women and the animals were suffering from miscarriages. And so the men of Jericho, they come to Elisha and they say, look, our, our, our situation, the city is pleasant, but the, the water stinks. The water is horrible. And so Elisha says, bring me a new bowl. And he put salt into it. And they, and, and they brought it to him. And he went to the spring and he threw the salt in. And notice what he says. Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From now on, neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. And, and, and that is surprising to us. And it should be. Why? Because God is being gracious to Jericho. You remember back in, in Joshua 6, we know that after Joshua, by the power of God, takes Jericho, he put Jericho under a curse. Jericho was not to be rebuilt. We then learn in 1 Kings 16 that in the days of Ahab, a man tried to rebuild the city and it cost him his son. But now we have the prophet of God in this cursed city. And God is gracious to them. He heals their waters. Do you see the picture? We too at one time, we were under the curse of God. We were under the curse of God because of our sin, because of our disobedience. But now because of the grace of God, we are no longer under a curse, but under the blessing of God. As one commentator says, Curseville has become Graceburg. That cursed city now experiences the grace of God. Anytime we see that happen, it should thrill us. You know, this week we had vacation Bible school and we should be praying for each child that was here that they would come to Christ. And if we see that, it should thrill us. 
When we see sinners come to Christ, it should, it should thrill us when we see those who are under the curse of God, now brought under the blessing of God through Jesus. It should thrill us. Even when we think that Jericho doesn't deserve it or, or that person doesn't deserve it, guess what? None of us do. If we deserved it, it would no longer be grace. But then we also, in the end of our text, we learn something of God's judgment. Now again, we come to a, a few verses that bother most people in our modern day sensibilities, or lack thereof. How can Elisha be so mean? They were only children. We hear of a group of boys, they are probably between the ages of 10 and 12 as Elisha is going through Bethel. Now what was Bethel? It was the, the center of bull worship, Jeroboam's bull worship. And it had been going on for 80 years. And the people of that city, they, they were loyal to their false god. And they had little affection for God's true prophet. And so as Elisha is walking through, these boys come out and they say, Go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. A bald head or baldy is a term of contempt. It's a term of contempt for the prophet. They tell him to go up. Perhaps they were saying, why don't you go up like Elijah? But more than likely they were saying, go up, get out of here. We don't want you here. We don't want a prophet of God in Bethel. Keep on going up, baldy. Go out, up, right out of this town. Leave this place. And so what happens? Elisha calls down a curse. How mean of Elisha. Why would he call down a curse upon these young boys? Because they were wicked young boys. They were idolaters. How did they learn to be an idolater? From their parents. And so he calls down a curse. Now as we hear that, we, we think, well that's just mean. But notice God answered Elijah, Elisha's call. Why? Because they were not only insulting the prophet of God, they were insulting God and His Word. And so 42 she-bears, and, and two she-bears came out of the woods and tore 42 of the boys. They mauled 42 of the boys. Now, it seems that some escaped, not all died. Some of them did get away. You see, if Elisha was just merely angry at the boys, then God would not have answered that call. But God did answer the call, and it validated Elisha's curse. And that tells us about the judgment of God. Matthew Henry said, Let the hideous shrieks and groans of this wicked, wretched brood make our flesh tremble for the fear of God. And so the latter part of our text, we have these two pictures, do we not? One sees the double-edged Word of God at work. First, at work in grace in all places, Jericho. And then the work of judgment in Bethel among His people. And so what application can we make here this morning? Well, first, every time 
The Word of God is proclaimed. It acts as a double-edged sword. The very Word of God is a double-edged sword. As you hear the Word this morning, it brings what? It brings both grace and judgment. Both are before us. We see grace to Jericho, a city under a curse, but judgment to, to a group of boys who just said that the prophet of God was bald. But whenever the Word of God is proclaimed, we have both. We have the the grace of God to those who repent of their sins as they hear the warnings of Scripture. But then we have the judgment of God to those who refuse to repent of their sins and turn to Christ. And so that is before us this morning. Grace and judgment. It is always before us. It will be before us tonight. God is a God of grace, but He's also a God of judgment. Now some will hear that and say, well, that's the God of the Old Testament. Well, second, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has not changed. And that's good news for us. Because if God could change, it would make God like us. You realize that. But God has always been the same. God has always been holy and righteous and loving and merciful and forgiving. He has always been every attribute we apply to Him. And He will always be. You see, God was the God of of Joshua. He was the God of Elijah. He was the God uh, of Elisha. And guess what? He is our God as well as we are here worshiping Him this morning. The power of God remains. Now again, we may doubt that sometimes. We see what's going on in the world. We may doubt if God has any power to stop it. He does. All He has to do is speak the Word and it's going to end, whatever it is. The wisdom of God should be sought after again. Again, where do you learn and hear of the wisdom of God? Where do you learn of God? In the Bible. We're to be seeking after the wisdom of God every day. The grace of God is still available to all who will turn from their sins and turn to Christ. And that's the good news we need to hear this morning. If God is gracious to Jericho, He can be gracious to any one of us here today. But as well, the judgment of God is still upon all those who reject the free offer of the gospel. In Jesus Christ. And so as we close this morning, you are confronted this morning with the all-powerful God. The all-knowing God. The gracious God. But also the God of wrath against all unrighteousness. And so as you are confronted with God this morning, what will you do? Will you be like these boys who insult the prophet of God and ridicule and mock God's servant? And tell him, we don't want to hear from you, get out. Or will you heed the word of God and see the grace of God offered to you this day through Jesus? But you might say, I don't need God's grace, I don't need his mercy. I'm good. No, you're not. There's nothing good in you apart from Jesus. And we are all in need of His grace. 
And that grace is only offered to us through Jesus. And so we are called to turn from our sin and put our trust and faith in Jesus. And if we do so, we will have life. We will have life not only today, but for all eternity. And one day, as the Lord tarries, and if He honors us in such a way, when Christ comes and we're still living upon this earth, we'll be translated into heaven as Elijah was translated. May God add His blessing to the reading, hearing, and preaching of His Word. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank You this morning for Your Word. And we thank You that even though Elijah is gone, You remain. And we thank You for Your power, Your wisdom, Your grace, and even Your judgment. Oh God, I pray for any who are here this morning that may not have faith in Jesus, that even now, by Your Holy Spirit, You would work in their heart. You would show them their need of Christ. And You would bring them to Christ in Your grace. Lord, may they heed the warnings of Scripture this morning. May we all heed the warnings. May we understand that we are in need of Your grace and mercy. And that is only found through Jesus. We pray all of this in His name. Amen.